0: Well, light is an amazing thing. Without light, we feel alone. We may feel scared, discouraged, like we're isolated. But light, light is an amazing thing. Darkness, that's where evil hides. That's where people do things in secret. But with light, light cuts through the darkness, Just a little bit of light can illuminate things that we weren't able to see before, even though they were always there. Light can show us obstacles that were in our path that we had no idea were right in our way. In the Bible, darkness and light are metaphors used for good and evil. Evil and good. The Bible talks about God being light and his activity in the Bible is often portrayed as light or the light of his face. Darkness is the absence of light. And in the Bible, darkness often refers to the absence of God's presence, where God's will is not done. It is darkness, it is evil. When I was a little kid, I used to be afraid of some dark spaces. Have you ever watched the movie Home Alone? where Kevin goes down into the basement and the, he thinks the furnace is trying to eat him. You know what I'm talking about? I could totally relate to that movie when I was a kid because I had a scary, dark basement. It was one of those basements where we didn't go down there very much for, for a long time and it just had shelves and, and rows upon rows of shelves with all of these like you know, relics from the past and keepsakes and boxes of things and things that were being stored there. And as a kid, to go down there at night was pretty scary. But it was even scarier when the lights were burnt out, which for some reason seemed to happen relatively frequently. And so I would have to go down for some reason as a little kid, you know, maybe, I don't know, five, six years old, and go down into the basement and grab something. I'd take a flashlight with me, and it was like something out of an Indiana Jones movie where I'm just kind of exploring, knowing that around every corner there could be something waiting to come out and grab me. And so I'd get whatever I needed and then run back upstairs as quickly as possible because I was afraid of that darkness that was down there. Of course, sometimes I use the darkness to my advantage, the cover of darkness. One time, my church growing up put on a haunted forest maze for the youth group and everybody to invite their friends and bring everybody. And we're gonna have tour groups go through this haunted maze together. And the idea behind this was that only the leader would have a flashlight, a group would go through, and everything would get scarier and scarier and scarier as you went through this haunted maze. The leaders had a brilliant idea, and they approached me right before my group was about to go through. I was probably 13 at the time, and they said, hey, what would like to do, since we know you and you're in this group, and you know, we're all good friends and everything, what if at the end of this tour, We came out of the woods, grabbed you and kidnapped you and dragged you back into the woods kicking and screaming. Wouldn't that be fun? And I said, yeah. Uh, That would be awesome. All my friends are in this group. I would love to freak them out. So we went through the whole maze thing and there were scary things and creepy things and really disgusting things. And there's, you know, adults dressed in costumes that would come out and try to scare you. And there's that one guy with a chainsaw, you know, and I, I think he took the chain off probably, hopefully. And he's chasing us around, you know. We got to the end of this whole thing. And right as every, everybody's on edge, everybody's clinging to each other, everybody's scared, and all of a sudden, at the scariest point of this tour, these three big dudes in full garb, costumes, things like that, rush out of the pitch black woods into our group, yelling and grunting, and they grabbed the wrong kid. <laughs> and this poor guy is being hauled away and having no idea that this is part of the plan. And they're dragging him back into the woods and he's kicking and screaming. And suddenly these guys look down and, whoops. <laughs> so they let him go and they ran back in. They grabbed me and I'm kind of standing there like, what do I do? What do I do? I, don't, I mean, you got the wrong guy, but I don't want to call that out because that would show that this is a stage. And then they pulled me back into the woods, into the darkness, and then we were gone. Leaving our group traumatized, (laughs) crying, scared. It was a total success, okay? (laughs) Now, regardless of what you think about a church planning an event to traumatize teenagers and give them nightmares, I want you to bear in mind, I was 13. I was not one of the mature, responsible adults who planned this whole thing. (laughs) I just went along with it. What made that event so successful? What made it so that we could scare all of those young people? Why was I so scared of going down into my basement as a kid? The answer is simple, it was the darkness. If you transpose those stories into the bright daytime sun, guess what, they're not as scary anymore. And so if I walked down into my basement, even as a kid, but, you know, there were windows down there, so the, if the light was shining in and it was nice and sunshiny, it was actually pretty pleasant. It wasn't that big of a deal at all. It was the darkness that made it so scary. Same thing is true for the teenagers in that haunted forest maze. As they walked through there, imagine if that had happened in the daytime. They would have seen all of the adults coming at them from a mile away. They would have recognized many of their faces as people that they knew and trusted. It wouldn't have been scary at all. When those guys came and grabbed me and hauled me off into the woods, they never would have lost sight of me in the daytime. They would have just seen us walking away, a hundred feet away, like it was no big deal. And instead of it being a scary experience, they probably would have been laughing. Light makes the difference. We're in part three now of a series called Light of the World, and we're mostly studying passages up to this point in the Gospel of John. John refers to Jesus as the light, the true light that was coming into the world. Jesus refers to himself as the light of the world. Don talked about that last week. So today, I want to explore that theme a little bit further. What does it mean that Jesus is the light of the world? What exactly is he offering here? What does that light look like? What does it mean to us? We'll talk about it more over the next couple of weeks, but today we're going to begin to explore in more, in more in depth that theme of light and that light that is offered to us. We're going to do that in the Gospel of John. So if you want to turn to John chapter 8, you can do that right now. If you don't have a Bible, you can use the UVersion Bible app. You'll find us on there. Go to efree.org slash Bible, and you can follow along with us there. John chapter 8, we're going to be in verse 12. That's our key verse for this morning. I'm going to read it, and then we're going to pray, and then we're going to unpack it a little bit and try to walk through it phrase by phrase and give you the context so that we all understand what does Jesus mean when he says this. Here's what he says. John 8 verse 12, Jesus spoke to the people once more and said, I I'm the light of the world. If you follow me, you won't have to walk in darkness because you will have the light that leads to life. God, we thank you for the opportunity to study your word today. We thank you that you are the light of the world. Now help us to understand what that means to us. Those of us who maybe have never followed you, don't know your light. Those of us who have, but maybe haven't always been living that way. God, I pray that you would reveal to us this morning and teach us through your word how we can have that light that leads to life and how that should make a difference in our lives, not just today, but tomorrow and the rest of this week and the rest of our lives. We thank you for everything you're gonna do in our hearts this morning. And in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, the words that we just read, the words of Jesus, have massive implications, and it's actually really hard for us to understand what those implications are, because we don't have the context. We don't yet know where Jesus was when he said this, who he was talking to, what the situation was, what the events were that surrounded this. So we need to take some time to go back and look at the context, the historical setting for where Jesus was when he gave this statement, Because it really does have profound implications if you understand the perspective of the original audience. Who was Jesus talking to? Where was he? What kind of circumstances was he in? In order to do that, I'm going to ask you to go back one chapter. Go back to John chapter 7. We're going to look at verse 37. We're not going to go through all of, all of this area here. I just want to show you one verse to give you the setting and the context. It says this, on the last day, the climax of the festival, that's important, there's a festival going on, Jesus stood and shouted to the crowd, so there's people all over the place, there's a festival, they've gathered, and he says, and this is important, you need to know this, we, we, we won't get into this too much today, but the, he's in the middle of a water drawing ceremony, okay? So there's this ceremony that they're doing as part of this festival. I'll explain that in a little bit. They're drawing water as part of this ceremony and Jesus shouts this, anyone who is thirsty may come to me. Kind of an amazing thing to just get up and shout in the middle of a festival. But what I want to focus on this morning isn't so much the water drawing or even the thirsty part of it, although that's really Interesting. What I want to focus on is what this means for the setting of John 8, 12. John 8, 12, because of the words that are used at the beginning of that verse, we know comes right after this. And so it's a continuation of what Jesus was saying before. That's why in our translation it says kind of he he opened his mouth to speak again to them or something like that. It's a continuation. Jesus here is at the last day of a festival. And that festival was called Sukkot or Sukkot some people say the Feast of Tabernacles. It's also called the Feast of Booths. Sukkot was a pilgrimage festival. There were three of these. Of all the feasts that the Jewish people had, three of them were pilgrimage festivals. That that meant that they traveled to Jerusalem to bring offerings to God and to celebrate together. So these three pilgrimage festivals, there was Passover That happened when the grain was still in the fields, and the reason for that was that's when God rescued the people of Israel out of Egypt and took them out. And so they were supposed to bring for Passover a lamb to sacrifice, a Passover lamb, and then that would also become their meal for the Passover meal. Then there was Pentecost, another pilgrimage festival. That happened seven weeks after the first harvest of the grain. And they were to bring to God as an offering the first of their harvest of the grain. That was at Pentecost. And the third pilgrimage festival was Sukkot, or the Feast of Tabernacles, the Feast of Booths. And for uh, Sukkot, this was supposed to happen right after the harvest was completed, after the grapes had been harvested and all that was done. Then they come and they celebrate. Now, why is it called the Feast of Tabernacles? What is a tabernacle? What does that mean? Well, a tabernacle or a sukkah in Hebrew is a tent. It's a temporary dwelling. And so Sukkot refers to multiple tabernacles, the feast of tabernacles. It's all about these temporary dwellings, these tents. And the reason that they would call it this is and they would they would actually set up temporary dwellings. In fact, you'll see this today in Israel and in certain parts around here. You'll even see around the time of Sukkot, which is either September or October depending on the year. I think this year it was September, next year I think it's October. That You'll see temporary dwellings set up to honor and celebrate this festival, this feast of tabernacles. It's a temporary dwelling they would set up. Why would they do that? Because when God led the people out of Egypt, the people of Israel, and he promised them this land that he was going to give to them, and they went up to it, and they almost went into it, and they chickened out, and then God said, well, you're going to have to wander for a while. And they wandered in the wilderness for 40 years, and they didn't have a permanent home. So they had these temporary dwellings, these tents. Even the place where God would come and meet with them, instead of it being a nice solid temple that we might all think of, they had to create a temporary one called the tabernacle, which was this big tent so that God would have his dwelling there and and interact with the people from that standpoint. So the Feast of Tabernacles was all about looking back and remembering what God did by bringing them out of Egypt, but then also remembering their disobedience and their sin. That led to them having to wander in the wilderness with these temporary dwellings, these tabernacles. There were two very important celebrations that happened during the Feast of Tabernacles. One of those is the water drawing ceremony that I talked about earlier. But the other one, the one I really want to focus on, is the lamp lighting ceremony. That was a big deal. They were serious about their celebrations in Jerusalem when it came time for the Feast of Tabernacles. The water drawing ceremony, the lamp lighting ceremony, these were major events that kind of took over the city and you could hear it and you could see it for a long ways off. Let me just give you a description of it. This comes from the Jewish Talmud. This is an ancient Jewish document that gives us an explanation of what happened. Here's what it says. He who has not seen the joy of the place of water drawing has not seen joy in his whole lifetime. That must have been some pretty special drawing of water. I don't know what makes drawing water that interesting, but it must have been incredible. If you've never seen joy, sorry guys, you've never seen joy. You've never even experienced it because you have not seen them Draw water. So there's something special about this water drawing ceremony. But then he goes on. He says, um, towards the end of the first day of the Feast of Tabernacles, people went down into the court of the women. Golden lamps were there, and four golden bowls were on each of them, and four ladders were by each. Four young men from the priestly group had jugs of oil in their hands containing about 120 logs. That's about 10 gallons that they would carry on their backs. 10 gallons of oil. And they would pour that oil into the bowls. Wicks were made from the discarded trousers of the priests. Uh, There must be some significance to that. I don't know why you need to tear up their pants to make wicks, but they did. And there was no court in Jerusalem that was not bright from the light of the place of drawing water. So they do the water drawing ceremony. And then they've got these huge lampstands that go up into the sky. They've got these four bowls that they pour oil into, and they use the poor priest's pants as their wicks, and they light them on fire, and that lights up the whole sky. Men of piety and known for their good works danced before the crowd with torches in their hands and sang before them songs and praises. And some people think that what they actually did is they may have actually juggled those torches as part of their dancing, or just sort of danced around with torches in their hands all night long as people Followed them around. Some sources talk about how they would get so exhausted after this because they would do this and then they would have maybe an hour or two of sleep and then get up and start the whole process again. And so it was a big celebration. It says the Levites stood with zithers and harps and cymbals and trumpets and other musical instruments without number on the 15 steps which led down from the court of the Israelites into the court of the women. Those were the different courts in the temple compound. A big celebration. Here's a little picture of what they think it looked like. The people dancing and playing music, lighting these huge fires that lit up the sky. All the courts in Jerusalem filled with this light. And Then you've got these guys dancing around with torches all night long. If you've got that image in your mind, light, fire everywhere, big deal. Everyone focused in on this. And then Jesus, either that day or maybe the day after, sometime right after this says, I am The light of the world. Remember, during the water drawing ceremony, he said, if you're thirsty, come to me. So he's using what they're already doing and pointing to himself. And then he, with the lamp lighting ceremony, at some point after that says, I am the light of the world. If you follow me, you won't have to walk in darkness because you will have the light that leads to life. So now given that backdrop that we have, of the festival and the celebration, we really need to understand why that light was such a big deal to the Jewish people. What was going through their minds? What were they celebrating? What were they remembering? What was such a big deal about this light that they had all of the celebration of light going on and then Jesus would use that to point to himself? We need to understand that to know what Jesus is really getting at here. When God led the Israelites out of Egypt, Remember, he did so with a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of what? A fire by night. A pillar of cloud and a pillar of fire. And that fire became incredibly important. That light in the sky was incredibly important. There were, there were two reasons for that. And the Jewish people associated light with God largely because of that event. It was, it was a big thing to them. The first thing is they, that light represented God's guidance to them. Light to the Israelites represented God's guidance to them. It was the pillar of fire that allowed them as they were escaping Egypt to travel by night. Now that's a huge advantage. When you have a big crowd of people and you're trying to travel at night and you can't see where you're going, it's just not possible unless you have some kind of a good light source. God provided that light in the pillar of fire. Not only did it put light down on them so they could see, but it also became their marker for where to go. And so light to the Jewish people became representative of God's guidance. Light also represented God's salvation. The pillar of fire helped to remove people from slavery in Egypt. It was a part of their salvation, but not only that, it actually played a role in the direct saving of the Jewish people. When the Egyptian army came after the Israelites and was close to overtaking them. God took the pillar of cloud from in front of the group and for the first time moved it behind the group to block the view of the Egyptian army. And then at night, it became a pillar of fire. And so you have the Egyptian army over here and the poor Israelites over here and there is this pillar of fire from God in the middle literally saving the Israelites from being recaptured. And protecting them and defending them. And so light represented God's guidance and God's salvation to the Jewish people. And you see this throughout the, the literature. Psalm 27.1 says, the Lord is my light and my salvation. So why should I be afraid? Psalm 119 says, your word is a lamp to guide my feet and a light for my path. The Israelites also looked forward to a time when God would be their everlasting light and they wouldn't need any other source of light. And this was incredibly symbolic for them, incredibly important for them. Isaiah says, no longer will you need the sun to shine by day nor the moon to give its light by night for the Lord your God will be your everlasting light. Your God will be your glory. Your sun will never set. Your moon will not go down for the Lord will be your everlasting light. Your days of mourning will come to an end. So here are the Jewish people in Jesus' day celebrating God's light, the light of his guidance, the light of his salvation, lighting these giant torches that filled the sky and looking forward to a future time where God himself would be their light. In fact, in Jewish literature we know that they sometimes referred to God as the light of the world. They thought of God as their past light, their their future light, and the light of the world. And it's into this moment that Jesus speaks the words, I am the light of the world. If you follow me, you won't have to walk in darkness, because you will have the light that leads to life. So let's unpack this verse together. Walk through it phrase by phrase. And with that backdrop, understand now, what Jesus means when he says this. We're gonna start with this phrase. I am the light of the world. I am the light of the world. And now that we've talked about the historical context from earlier and the significance of the light and how that's tied in with God and what that means to the Jewish people who Jesus was speaking to and as he's in the temple, certainly there'd be a lot of religious educated people there who understood significance of this by identifying himself as the light of the world in the midst of this celebration, Jesus was equating himself with God. He was claiming something of a divine nature, attribute, element, sending. There's an element here where he's connecting himself to God in a bigger way than we might realize by just reading the text. He's not only saying that he's the light of the world, which is what they thought of God as, but in the context of this celebration, he's He's identifying himself as God's guiding light, God's saving light. There's huge implications to this. It's important to understand that. There are five things that I want you to remember as we go through this verse. So if you're taking notes, there are five things I want you to remember. And the first one is simply this, I am. Would everybody say that with me? I I am. Jesus said, I am the light of the world. That is a big deal. It's a really big deal because Jesus is talking about a lot more than just illumination. He's not saying I'm here to kind of show you the way. In the context of this celebration and in the context of the temple that he's in and the context of how they understood light and what they use light to refer to and they're celebrating light, he's saying I am God's glorious light. I am God's salvation from your enemies. I am God's guidance in the desert. I am God's presence in your wandering. I am God's light come to you. God's light with you. God's presence with you. The light of the world. Follow me. And you won't have to walk in darkness. Only God, from a Jewish perspective, could make that claim. And we actually see this in the next verse. If you look at verse 13. Look at how the Pharisees respond to him. They say, you are making those claims about yourself. Such testimony is not valid. So they understood that there was something major to what Jesus was claiming here, and they did not like it. Because Jesus was actually saying, I know you think God is the light of the world. Well, guess what? I am he. I am the light of the world. And then he says this, back in 8.12, he says, if you follow me, follow. That's the next thing I want you to remember. Would everybody say follow? Follow Follow me. If you follow me. Here's what you need to know about this word. It's actually really interesting. The word that is used, that's recorded for us, is not a one-time following event. It is not a one and done. You followed, you said the prayer, you made the commitment, boom, it's done. It's over with. I got my fire insurance. I'm all set. That is not the kind of word that Jesus uses here. The word that he uses is in a tense that means if you follow and keep on following. In other words, it's not a one-time deal where I want you to just kind of say the right thing and then you're good. I want you to follow, it's a discipleship term. I want you to keep following me. I want you to keep going with me. It's not just a one-time deal because Jesus is not looking for Christians in name only. He is looking for followers who will keep following him. Not just the one time, but with all of their lives. He's not looking for people who will follow him once and then live for themselves. He's not looking for church seat warmers. Not that it's wrong to come to church and warm a seat. You're doing a great job of that right now. But that's not all Jesus wants from you, okay? He's not looking for people who will just kind of show up and then do their own thing. He's looking for fully devoted followers. Follow me and keep following is what he wants. He doesn't want just a part of your life. He wants your whole life devoted to him, following him. Not that you just see the light, but that you follow it and keep following it. Also notice that Jesus doesn't say we are to come to the light or stay in the light and just kind of sit here in the light and and bask in its warm glow and just kind of hang out there, enjoy the security and the comfort of being there. No, he says to follow Not just come, not just sit, not just stay, but follow. And here's the lesson that I hope you take from this. It's that following Jesus involves movement. There is an action to this. It is not just about come and say. Some people will say about church, sit and soak. It's not just about sit and soak. It's about go and do and live and move and follow. There is a journey to this walk with Jesus. There is a journey to this. And one of the questions that I have for you today is how is that journey going for you? We are all at different parts of that journey. We face different things along that journey. What is God teaching you right now as you're journeying with him? What is he teaching you? What kind of obstacles are you facing right now? What does he want you to learn? Where does he want you to go? There is movement here. This is not a sedentary thing. This is a journey. This is a following. This is a path that he has us on that he wants to guide us on. Every journey has ups and downs, right? Every journey... If it's a a long journey across a lot of terrain, there's going to be mountaintops and there's going to be valleys. Mountaintops and valleys, high times and low times. There's some interesting things about what happens with light when you're going from a mountain to a valley and then a mountain again. Have you ever hiked over several mountains? And You go up one and on the top might be a little chilly because of how high the elevation is, but you've got lots of sunlight. There's lots of light showing everywhere, and sometimes if you make your way down into a valley. And the angle is such that the sunlight doesn't quite hit there. And then you get down under the tree cover and there's very little light down there. It can get pretty dark. It can even get really cold down in the valley. And I remember times where I'd walk up the other side of a mountain and as you're making your way up, you can tell the point at which you're finally in the sunlight again. Have you ever been there? Where it's cold and all of a sudden that sunlight, warm sunlight hits you as you're walking your way up the mountain. It's like, oh yes, that's what I wanted. That's what I did. Finally, I'm out of that valley our lives are like that sometimes, aren't they? Where we go through a valley, we go through a time of darkness, a time where we don't have as much light in the the area around us. And we can't wait to get back up on the mountaintop again. My wife and I, for a while, lived in a place where we were kind of in a valley. And so we didn't get sunlight uh, for more than about uh, five minutes a day. That's a little exaggeration, but we did not get very much sunlight. It was much darker where we lived than it was in houses even a mile away from us because they were up and out of that kind of ravine that we were in. And we learned from that that we really like sunlight. We like natural daylight. It makes us feel better, okay? It helps with our attitudes. It gets more vitamin D in us, whatever it is. It helps us out. We like that sunlight, but sometimes we go through these times in our lives where, where we are in the darkness. And this is what Jesus One of the things that Jesus is talking about, when he says walking in darkness, here's the next point. He says, if you follow me, you won't have to walk in darkness. If you follow me, you won't have to walk in darkness. When I uh, used to do a lot of missions where I can travel around the world, I'd get the opportunity to go into these temples or mosques and see sometimes hundreds of people worshiping at the feet of false gods bowing down bringing their offerings performing rituals and i tell you what as a follower of jesus not not in all of them but in some of those places it just seemed like you could sense a darkness that was present there was just a spiritual darkness there you look around and you just see all these people just deceived into believing that by doing this ritual or hitting this thing or putting this thing down here or bringing this item or whatever it is or praying these words to this statue, that it's gonna somehow give them favor with the gods and there's a spiritual darkness that is there. And in the same way, in in some countries where you can't really talk openly about your faith, if you meet someone, maybe in a restaurant or a coffee shop, um, I've met different people in those situations and you get to talking with them and no one's talking about Jesus at all, but sometimes you can just get a sense. You can just kind of tell, there's... There's something different about this person. There's a hope. There's a, there's a life. There's a light in them that's different. And then you get to know them a little better and you find out they're a follower of Jesus because the light, it stands out from the darkness. Jesus said you won't have to walk in darkness. That's the third thing I want you to remember today. It's darkness. Would everybody say darkness? Now, if you're taking notes, you can write darkness, but then cross it out. And that's important. That's important. That's significant, because Jesus did not say that darkness wouldn't exist. Jesus did not say, if you follow me, there will be no darkness around you. He said, you won't have to walk in it. There is darkness. There are valleys. There are times that are incredibly challenging. There are times when we do things that remind us of the darkness. We do things of the darkness. And yet Jesus says, you don't have to walk in that. Not that it's gone, not that there is no darkness, but that you don't have to walk in it. There are two things that I think we can draw from Jesus saying, you don't have to walk in the darkness. And as I've studied this this week, I've found these two things repeated over and over again. I wanna share them with you. The first one is that not having to walk in darkness means that Jesus is your guiding and saving light in the midst of darkness, in those valleys, in those times where you feel like you are just going through a really difficult season of life. You don't have to go through it alone. You don't have to go through it without Jesus. He is there with you to guide you in that, to be your light in those dark times. Even though there might be darkness around you, even though you might be going through one of those valleys, you don't have to walk in that darkness. That's one of the meanings that comes out of this, but there's another one. Uh, Well, let me share a verse with you, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. It says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not depend on your own understanding. Seek his will in all that you do, and he will show you which path to take, or he will light your paths. Even when you're going through difficult times. The Bible tells us not to trust in our own understanding but to trust in God and he will light our path for us. He will show us which path to take. He will guide us. He will walk through us in those times. But here's the other meaning to walking in darkness. And this is really important. Paul talks about this in Ephesians chapter five and I'm just gonna read it to you because I think his words are so powerful here. Here's what he says in Ephesians five verse eight. For you... Were f- once you were full of darkness. You were full of darkness, but now you have light from the Lord. It's exactly what Jesus was talking about. You were once darkness, but now you have light from the Lord. So live as people of light. You need to live differently. You do not have to walk in darkness. You have this light from Christ. You need to live in that light for this light within you produces only what is good and right and true. Carefully determine then what pleases the Lord. Take no part in the worthless deeds of evil and darkness. Don't have anything to do with that. Instead, expose them. It is shameful even to talk about the things that ungodly people do in secret, but their evil intentions will be exposed when the light shines on them. For the light makes everything visible. This is why it is said, awake, O sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will give you light. Let me say that again. Awake, O sleeper. Rise from the dead. We're gonna come back to that. And Christ will give you light. So he says, be careful how you live. Don't live like fools, but like those who are wise. Make the most of every opportunity in these evil days. What is he saying here? He is saying a couple of things. Number one, he's saying that there's still darkness around. These are evil days. There is darkness. You don't have to walk in it. You don't have to live it. You don't have to participate in the acts of darkness because you have the light that comes from Christ. And when that is ruling in your life, it produces only what is good, the light. Live as people of light. You have the light, use it. Don't engage in the activities of darkness. And this is exactly what Jesus is saying. When we go back to verse 12 of chapter eight, he says, you won't have to walk in darkness. Why? Because you will have the light. Fourth thing I want you to remember about this passage is have. Would everybody say have? Have. Have. So who is the light? Who is the light? Jesus is the light. And he says you will have the light. So what is he really saying here? If you follow me, you will have me. If you follow me, you will have me. Now, I don't know how that strikes you, but as I was studying this this week, it kind of gave me chills to think about the magnitude of what Jesus is saying here. That he's not just some far off being, that he wants to be with us. Think back to a couple of weeks ago, we talked about who Jesus is as the light of the world, how he is God, how he always existed. How he created everything. Nothing was created without his involvement in it. He brought light into the world. And when people messed it up and brought darkness into the world, he brought light into the world again. Jesus is amazing. And Jesus says, you can have me. If you follow me, you will have me. What does that mean? God wants to be with us. Jesus wants to be with us. He wants us to in some sense acquire him and have him in our lives and be present with us so that even when we walk through those times of darkness, we have Jesus. And that is an incredibly comforting thought. I'm sure some of you are going through some dark times I'm sure some of you are going through some valleys and just the thought that Jesus went to such great lengths so that you could have him with you, so that he could light your way, even in those valleys. That's an incredibly encouraging thought. But believe it or not, it gets even better. Back to the verse. He says, you will have the light, you will have the light that leads to life. That's the fifth thing I want you to remember. It's the word life. Life. Would everybody say life? That's the last thing. Why do we need life? Why is this such a big deal? Jesus knows that every person on this planet, in their natural state, is spiritually dead. We are spiritually dead. Paul said that you were once full of darkness. In another place, Paul says, what fellowship can light have with darkness? So along those same lines, what fellowship can God, who is light, have with people who are in darkness? People who are filled with sin. They don't go together. It's like oil and water. There's nothing that can bring those two together and make them fully mix the way that they should. There's a separation that exists between God who is light and we who are in darkness. And so what Jesus is saying here is I am the light of the world and if you follow me, then you don't have to walk in darkness anymore. You will have the light, that's me, that leads to life, that's spiritual life in God. It's amazing what he's saying here. He's not just saying I want to give you a good life now. He's saying I want you to have spiritual life and light so that you can be with God. I want you to be restored to God. I want you to be reconciled to God. I want you to be able to know God. So what Jesus did here was absolutely amazing. He brought light into this dark world so that instead of being spiritually dead and apart from God, we can have life and light with God. Nothing else can lead to spiritual life. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Our text this morning is Jesus announcing that he has come to make that possible, that he has come to bring that light and that life so that we can be with him. So I I just have two, two simple thoughts as we close this morning. For some of you you may not have that relationship with God right now. You may not even know what that looks like or what we're talking about. And you may be sensing right now God drawing you in your heart and you wondering, maybe, maybe there's something to this. I wanna know more about this. I wanna follow Jesus. I wanna trust in Jesus. And if that's you, I wanna tell you that that, that is exactly what Jesus is calling you to do. He wants you to follow him, to follow someone. You have to trust in where they're going. And so you have to trust in Jesus. And it's not just about following him one time. It's not just about saying a quick prayer and boom, it's all all over with. I think there are a lot of people who say a quick prayer because they've been told that that's going to give them their eternal insurance. And they maybe didn't really believe it and, and didn't really mean it. They didn't actually trust in Jesus. They just did what they were supposed to do and tacked it onto the other list of things they did that they think is going to make them right with God. But Jesus says, follow me and keep following me. There is a commitment level to this. Your life needs to be changed by Jesus being in you, that light that is in you that produces only what is good. And you may be here, and that may not be your spiritual state right now. And you don't have that life that comes from Christ. And you may be going through a valley, and you don't have access to that light from God to guide you through that. So here's what I want to ask you to do. If that is you today, there are going to be people up front after I close this service, including myself, who would love to talk with you about what it means to have a relationship with Jesus. I would rather that happen in a conversation here. Because I want to be able to ask you questions, and you probably have questions, but I want you to know that that door is open for you to learn more about what it means to follow Jesus and have that light that leads to life. Now, for everybody else that's here, everyone that's here and you say, I am a follower of Jesus, um, but I'm going through a difficult time right now. I'm going through one of those valleys. I'm going through one of those tough times. There will be distractions on every turn To try to get you off course a little bit into the darkness. Jesus' promise to you is that you do not have to walk in the darkness because you have access to a light that can guide you through that. And that is not a promise that you'll be out of the valley tomorrow. It can be a long valley. I've been through some of those. It can be a challenging time. Jesus did not promise that the darkness would disappear, He promised that He would guide you through it and that He would be your light in it. You don't have to walk in darkness you also don't have to act in darkness. And Paul would say, you have the light. Live as people of light. Choose to do what God wants to produce through you and that light that he has given you to produce only what is good and not participate in the evil deeds of darkness. Let's pray and close. God, we love you. Jesus, we love you. You have given us something that we do not deserve, something that we could never earn, the light that leads to life. My concern today is that for even many of us who have that light, we're not using it. For those of us who can walk in light, we tend to get distracted by the darkness. Sometimes we do participate in those things that we should no longer be doing. So now, Lord, I ask that for those of us in this room and those who are watching online, that you would bring into our minds those aspects of the darkness that maybe we have not let go of, maybe we have been distracted by, tempted by, that are keeping us from moving forward on that journey of following you. Lord, how is it that you want us to grow this week? How is it you want us to live our lives? Help us, Lord, to follow you and to keep following you so that our lives would reflect your light to others. And if there's anyone here, God, who does not know you, does not have that light that leads to life, is not not a a follower of you, Lord, I pray that you would give them the courage and the boldness to be willing to, to come down here at the end of this service and talk with us about it and learn what it means to follow you, to have you in their life, to have a relationship with you so that they can have... Not just life here, but eternal life with you, God. Be with us as we go our separate ways. Help us to reflect your light to everyone that we encounter so they will see the difference in us and that our light that comes from you would shine brightly no matter what dark place we are in. And in Jesus' name I pray, amen. I hope you have a wonderful week. God bless and we'll see you next Sunday.